Well, again, we just want to say thank you to all of our men and women who have served uh, our military and uh, served this country. We are grateful, and I hope that you'll take the time today if there's someone around you that you know has served. I'm just curious, uh, if you have served as a veteran uh, or currently serving, just lift up your hand. I'm not going to just... If you, if you wouldn't mind lifting up your hand, it's okay. It's all under control up here. <laughs> okay, so again, we want to thank you. So take the time. If you saw somebody lift their hand. Yeah, there you go. That's great. But I also just want to say, if you saw somebody near you lift their hand, before they walk out today, just give them a pat on the back or say thank you so much and, and just encourage them. Now, last week... Pastor Eric concluded uh, his sermon series on the ups and downs of life, and uh, he concluded it by talking about what happens in life when you're disappointed, when others disappoint you, or maybe you feel disappointed because of circumstances in life, things in life didn't turn out the way that you thought they might, or maybe you've even felt disappointed with God. And it was an excellent message. I encourage you, if you weren't here, if you didn't hear it, to check it out online. Go to YouTube, go to our website. We got links to, to get you to it so that you can listen to it. But as I listened to his message last week, and as I prayed about it, uh, of what would be a good message to kind of segue out of that excellent series of messages that he brought, and, and also just, just bring some addition to it to kind of segue us into what God has to speak for us next, Today I thought I would talk about what happens in life when you are the one who has disappointed yourself. How do you move forward in life when you are disappointed with something you've done? You've made a poor choice or you've made a mistake. And how can you recover from that or how does God view that? Is, is there hope for you? And so as the communion trays are being passed around today, uh, hopefully many of you have already uh, taken a cup out, and I do want you to take that cup out and keep it. Um, that's why I wasn't too worried when one of the communion trays was dropped up here, because for those of you who are online listening to this or watching it, the cups are empty. <laughs> but there is a point with this. So again, I, I want you to keep it. I hope it'll be a reminder to you, because if Jesus Christ had not been obedient to God, if Jesus Christ had said no to God and what God wanted him to do, then we would not be able to celebrate communion like we have for all of these years in the church. Not to be cheesy or funny, but literally our cups would be empty. The cup of our life, the cup of our soul, the, the knowledge that we can be forgiven and, and have that assurance that God has loved us so much that he didn't even spare himself for us. But he poured his life out and became empty because he was pouring life and forgiveness and mercy and grace into every single one of us. So back, um, it's probably been about seven years ago, I spoke on this topic, and I wanted to revisit it today for those of you who are new with us since then, and maybe some of you might remember when I did this quite a long time ago. But there's a common phrase that people use in thinking about life and, and all of these things, and it is with a simple glass of water, and of course the phrase is, is the glass half empty or is it half full? 
So how do you see that? And of course, it's, it's a proverbial saying that helps kind of check our attitude and uh, what is our attitude about life in general or a particular circumstance that we're going through in life. But what I want to challenge us today and to think about is, uh, is that really the right question? That's good. Anybody thirsty? Sorry. <laughs> I can share if you want to drink after me. So what would you say about the glass now? Is it a fourth full and three-fourths empty? How would you look at it? Okay, enough. <laughs> the water's good. It tastes really good. The question that we ought to be asking is this. Is the glass useful? Is it useful? So if you're focusing, if you're at a point in life where you feel like maybe your best days are behind you and you're thinking that you're seeing life as the glass half empty, or maybe you're just getting started in life or in something, some new venture, and you feel like your cup is full and it's like it's all good, ask yourself the question, is it useful? Are you being useful with whatever you are doing in life and where you're at in life? And actually... This is something that we see addressed in the scriptures time and time again. Think of it if Jesus, after he got to the point in his ministry where he knew the crucifixion was coming, and he didn't know it was coming, and he got to the point where he sat with his disciples at that Passover meal, and he told them that one of them would betray him. And in fact, he told them that night that they would all desert him and leave. What if Jesus at that point had thought, this is all kind of pointless. I've spent all this time with these disciples. I've told them the truth. I've shown them my love. I've performed miracles. And they're all going to abandon me. And not only that, but in the city of Jerusalem and the religious leaders that I've been challenging and talking to, they don't even recognize me for who I am. They claim to worship me, and they don't even recognize who I am. You know what? It's just not worth it. My cup is empty, and I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the, hum the human side of Jesus, actually, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to have that time of prayer, struggling with the human side of what he knew he was facing, he prayed and he said, Lord, if, if this is your will, you know, I really don't want to do it. I don't want to have to go through this. In fact, his words are recorded in Scripture. He says, oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. And he was using that phrase of a cup because it was something, the suffering, the agony, the torture, all, and the death, everything that he would go through. And more than that, bearing the consequences of the sin of all humanity for all time, past, present, and future in that moment. He was holy. He was righteous. He had never experienced any of this. And so he was saying, if there's any other way, then I pray that will happen. But nevertheless, not what I will, your will be done. He was willing to drink the cup, so to speak. But imagine if he had said no. The Bible is full of stories of people 
who went through difficult times, and at times they did say no to God. They said, not your will, but my will be done. And they lived selfishly, and they made poor choices, and they suffered consequences for it. The good news is that God doesn't give up on us. He still loves us, and that's what I want us to focus on today. Uh, what if you are in that situation in your life now where you feel like you've let God down, you've disappointed him, or maybe you've done some things in your life that you never thought you'd ever do? Well, Simon Peter is one of those people who talks to us today, and we see it through the scriptures. He was one of Christ's closest followers. In fact, Jesus had told Simon Peter I am going to give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven because you're walking so close with me and you have a faith in me and you see who I am and you know who I am. And yet that night uh, before Jesus was crucified, when he was with his disciples and they were at the Passover meal, he told them that they would all flee from him. And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, no, Lord, not me. I'm never going to flee from you. And he said, yes, Peter, even you are going to deny me three times before a rooster crows twice. And Peter argued with him. He said, no, Jesus, that isn't going to happen. I would never deny you. And yet we know the story. In fact, the scripture says that after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and carried off to a mock trial, you know why Jesus was put on trial and why he was crucified? He was crucified for speaking the truth. He told the truth. He told them, I am God in the flesh. I am God, and I have come to visit you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. But there were many who did not believe him. In fact, the religious leaders didn't even believe him. They felt threatened by him, threatened because they were going to lose their power, and so they wanted to see him put to death. What they didn't understand was they really didn't have any power to put him to death. God was permitting all of this in his amazing plan to offer his life as a sacrifice for us. But to also make a point about the truth. You see, the truth is something we either need to accept or not. And if we reject the truth, there will be consequences for that. But it still doesn't change what the truth is. In fact, when some of the religious leaders confronted Jesus perfect, personally and said, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? He told the truth because he couldn't lie. And he said, Yes, I am. And with that, they tore their robes and they said, blasphemy, this can't be. And they crucified him. Now, I just want to take a moment to speak something that we need to be aware of in our culture today. A lot of people don't like the truth. They want their version of the truth. They want things their way. They want to say what they think is right. And there is a source of truth whether you like it or not, and it has been the same throughout history, and that source of truth is God. And in fact, Jesus Christ said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But there's a lot of people who don't like that message, so they label Christianity as being exclusive and all these things. And hey, we're just going by what Jesus said. You, you either believe he is the truth or you don't. And the people who rejected Christ and crucified him were ones that did not believe he was true. They did not believe he was the Son of God, but it didn't change the fact that he was. And the point is this. Sometimes truth can sound like hate speech. In fact, I saw this post the other day, and it's very profound. Truth can sound like hate speech. 
to people who hate the truth. Mm. Oh, that's harsh, but it's true. Truth will sound like hate speech to people who hate the truth. Jesus spoke the truth. The Pharisees didn't like it, and they wanted to put him to death and to silence him. So church, I'm telling you, to follow Christ's example, we must speak the truth. We must stand for the truth. Though people might label us as being hateful or whatever, we need to stand for truth. Oh, you weren't expecting to get that today, were you? But if we're going to be serious about learning from the example of Christ, then we need to take heed. Now, what about Peter? Peter said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. And yet he did. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 73 through 75, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter. So again, this was after Jesus is arrested. All the disciples had fled from him. But Peter was kind of following at a distance, keeping an eye on things. And so while he was with this group of people there, there were some people that went up to Peter and they said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now the scripture doesn't say a lot of detail about this, but that phrase, he went outside and he wept bitterly. In that moment, he was crushed. He felt useless. He's like, I I cannot believe what I just did. I mean, I said I would never deny him. I said I would never forsake him. I told Jesus that if he would go to death, that I would go to death with him. And I allowed fear and the fear of death to cause me to even deny him. How could I have done such a thing? I've let him down. And so Peter in those moments felt empty and he felt useless. In fact, here's another little side note to this whole thing. For those of you who have read the scriptures, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, he brought Peter with him and a couple of other disciples. Do you remember what it was that he said to the disciples before he began to pray, before Jesus began to pray? He said, hey guys, I want you to to stay here and pray with me, okay? I'm gonna go over there. I wanna be just between me and God. I'm gonna pray, but I want you guys to stay here and pray. And what happened? They had a long day. They were exhausted, tired. They fell asleep. And Jesus came back and he said, hey guys, wake up. Come on, can't you even just pray with me for a little bit? And then he even said to Peter and to the disciples, pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Now at that moment, he wasn't talking about temptation of some moral evil or something. Think about what happened just a few hours later. I'm not blaming it all on this, but because Peter fell asleep and didn't pray, when he was faced with the temptation to deny Jesus, he couldn't do it. He hadn't spent the time in prayer and therefore he couldn't resist the temptation. So there's a little sidebar message here in this whole thing is the importance of prayer. Don't be too busy in your day or think that you got too much stuff going on to be too busy to pray. Even if it's just to take a few moments, wherever you're at, in your car, sitting at a traffic light or waiting in line, take a moment and take those moments to pray to God in those moments. That's part of what the scripture means when it says to pray without ceasing. It means you can pray anytime, anywhere. Just come to God the Father through 
the name of Christ and the person of Christ. I think this would be a whole different world if we would all heed that, myself included as your pastor, I'm confessing, because there are times that I don't pray as I should. So this is a reminder to me. But here's the good news. That wasn't the end of the story. Jesus made a comeback. We know it. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified to death, pouring his blood out, emptying himself for us. He remained useful and even upped his game with his usefulness, so to speak, because he walked out of that tomb three days later, bodily resurrected, alive, full of glory, and ready to pour his glory into anyone who would put their faith and trust and belief in him, not only back then in that generation, but right still today to this very moment. He stands ready to pour his spirit into you and make you useful once again. And that's what he did with Peter. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, he sent a message to Peter and the other disciples, and he said, tell the other disciples and Peter, he mentioned him specifically, that I want to meet them in Galilee. So have them go there, and I'll meet them in Galilee. And so we fast forward in the scriptures, and we see that that happened. Peter and the other disciples, some of them did what we would do. They were disappointed. Peter felt useless. He felt crushed. He felt like I've let God down. And even though he had seen Christ resurrected, he still was, he just couldn't comprehend all of it. And he still felt kind of useless, I believe. He felt like he had let God down. And so when they go to Galilee, while they're waiting there, they, they go back to their default mode. Their default mode was they were fishermen. And so they did what they knew how to do. They're like, well, this Jesus thing, we still can't figure it all out. It's not working out the way we want. And Peter probably thought, I've let God down. I don't even know that I'm going to be useful for him. So I'll just go back to doing what I know best and what I've done my whole life. Let me ask you this. If you've come to a point of faith in Christ, either right now or maybe at a time in your past, and you felt like you've let God down or somehow you didn't live up to what you thought it would be, have you gone back to your default mode? Are you going back to the things that you've always done or you did in the past? Again, Jesus has so much more for you than your default mode. He wants to bring you out of that and set a new direction for your life. And that's what we see him doing with Peter. So as they're out fishing, Jesus appears on the shoreline. He calls to them. They come in. And lo and behold, Jesus has already got an open fire there by the shoreline. He's got some fresh fish cooking on the fire. I love it. Jesus was fixing breakfast for him. And he said, come on, guys, let's eat. And so when they got it, and as they were eating there, then Jesus confronts Peter with a very poignant question. He says, do you love me? And you've probably heard this preached on many times or taught, or it's a familiar story. And of course, Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. But here's something I really want us to think about today. Because I believe that Jesus is asking you the same question. When you've let him down, maybe you made a decision. Maybe you prayed at some point way in your past and you asked Jesus to come into your life. And you meant it back then, or maybe you weren't sure, but whatever. Since that time, you've gone back into your default mode. You're living by the way of the world. You're letting other ideologies come in. You're not really reading the scripture or you read it and you're saying, I don't know if that applies to me or not. And you're doing your own thing. 
And maybe you've gotten to a point where you're feeling like, you know what, I've just, I've kind of let God down and I'm not sure about this whole thing, so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing as long as I'm happy. I don't know if God could forgive me for all that I've done. Jesus is looking at you right now and he's asking you the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Because that's really what it comes down to. It's not about your performance. It's not about how much good that you've done or all these things that you've racked up in your points to get into heaven because you don't get into heaven based on your good works or your points. You get into heaven based on what Jesus has done for you and you respond to that love of Jesus by loving him in return and receiving him as your savior. That's the gift of eternal life is to receive the life giver. You don't get to heaven trying to do good works. Good works are fine and they're good. That's not what gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is loving the life giver. And that's what Jesus brings it down to when he looks at Peter. Because Peter knows that Jesus uh, saw him, deny him, heard him. Jesus knew Peter had denied him. And Jesus didn't say, you remember what you did back there? He didn't throw that up in Peter's face. He just asked him a simple question. Do you love me? Because that's the whole crux of the issue. So he's asking you and I that today. And of course, again, three times Jesus asked Peter that question and three times Peter affirmed his love for God. And obviously I believe that it was because Peter denied him three times, three times Jesus was wanting him to know, Peter, you're still useful to me. I'm gonna give you every opportunity that you denied me, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to reaffirm your love for me and, and your service for me and your desire to follow me. And so we see this in John chapter 21, verse 17, the third time that Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In fact, that was the response that Jesus gave each time when, when he asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. In other words, he was saying, Peter, your glass isn't empty. You're still useful to me. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I'm gonna pour my spirit into you because I'm not done with you yet. You are still useful to me. But we gotta be open to his Holy Spirit leading in our life if we truly love Jesus. So the question today that I would pose to you is if you love Jesus, Jesus is saying to you, then feed my sheep. Do my work. Do what I've gifted you to do. Contribute into the work of the kingdom. Don't look at your life as useless and think that your glass is empty or your life is empty or, or half empty or whatever. Continue to be useful. And we know the rest of the story that Peter did become extremely useful to God once again and was used in amazing ways. And that's the lesson for you and I. There's nothing that you have done in your lifetime that God can't take and redeem and use for his purposes if you love him and you have a willing heart. And you say, Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. I do not deserve this. I'm not worthy Thank you. There's another person that went from feeling useful to feeling useless, and his name was John Mark. He was a cousin of Barnabas who accompanied uh, Barnabas and Paul, the Apostle Paul, on their first missionary journey to Asia Minor. 
Something happened, we don't know what, that caused John Mark to abandon the work really before they got about halfway into it. They sailed on a ship and they got to the shoreline of Asia Minor. And when they got off the ship, it just simply says in the scripture that John Mark left them and he went to Jerusalem. And um, Luke records it this way, actually in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perge in Pamphylia and John, who was also known as Mark, that's why I refer to him as John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Again, we don't know why, but I can tell you this as we read a little bit further on, it really affected the Apostle Paul in his view of John Mark. And so let's take a look at that now in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40. Uh, some time had passed. The Apostle Paul says, you know what? I want to go back and revisit those churches that we, when we went on our first missionary journey. So he's talking with Barnabas about this. And we pick it up there in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He wanted to do a follow-up ministry. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. So there it is. So you know that we're talking about that same person. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Now, that word in the Greek that says wanted, it's translated into English as wanted. It's really a lot stronger than that. It's like Barnabas was determined. He absolutely was determined. He wanted to take John Mark with him on this journey. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. <laughs> Again, it's kind of softened down in the English, but from the original Greek, it's basically given the connotation that Paul said, he's not worthy to go with us because he abandoned us. So he was viewing John Mark as being useless. He's useless to us. I mean, he abandoned us halfway through the work before we really got even started. And it goes on and it says, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And then it says this in the next verse, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Every time I teach on this or talk about it, I, I have to say with a smile, it's not really funny, but this is evidence in the scripture of the first church split. <laughs> so, you know, it really happened. I mean, they, it wasn't really a theological thing. It was over a personal thing and, and a conflict and a friction, a disagreement on how to do ministry and who ought to be included. And they literally, they had a church split. They went their separate ways. That's what it says there. This, the, uh, they had such sharp disagreement that they parted company. Literally, again, in the Greek, there's a connotation like sour wine. Ew, ugh. think about that. Just taking a sip, it's like, ugh, that's so nasty. That's how they kind of felt about this whole situation. So they're like, you know what? We just got to go our separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of our Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So there's three viewpoints that are demonstrated here. There's Barnabas who saw John Mark as still being useful, even though sure he had disappointed him, but he wanted to give him another chance and he wanted to kind of redeem him and help him. Then there was the apostle Paul who basically saw John Mark as at this point, he's useless, you know, he's disappointed me, he's let, he's let us down. 
Uh, we can't, he's not dependable, he's not trustworthy, so we don't, I don't think it's wise to take him. And then there's John Mark in the middle of all this. And he probably wanted to be used again, but he was probably doubting himself, like, wow, I, I'm not sure I can do this. Have you ever viewed someone in the church that way? Maybe you're viewing them right now. Maybe something's happened in the past and you've had a disagreement, and ever since you're just looking at them as like, I don't know if I can trust them or not. I don't know if they're worthy or not. Or maybe you've done something that you don't realize it, but maybe they're looking at you going, I don't know about them. I don't know about that. And what we need to do is rather than looking at each other that way, we need to have the heart of Barnabas and say, what can we do to come alongside and to help encourage that person or those people or those individuals who maybe are feeling kind of useless right now and hurt and give them another chance? And when I say another chance, I'm talking about just saying, hey, let's see how we do in ministry here. Let's continue to work together. Let's be cooperative. And again, I'm not speaking that because necessarily there's anything that happens here at Porterfield because, you know, here at Porterfield, we've never had any disagreements. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> uh, it's a part of life. It's a part of, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you here today are part of a family that has never had disagreements. Yeah. I mean, if I asked you to raise your hand and you raise your hand, I'd say, it's time for you to leave. <laughs> You're not being honest. But what I'm saying is, if that happens in our personal families with people that we're close to and care about or maybe don't so much care about, don't you think it's gonna happen in the church? So again, this message is to encourage us not only to look at ourselves, but how we look at others and see the redemptive power of Christ and how we can all be useful once again even though we've all done things that have disappointed ourselves or disappointed others. In fact, God ultimately used this situation to, to expand the ministry um, because Barnabas took John Mark, even though he's in disagreement with Paul, they were carrying the gospel message to a different part geograph geographically than Paul and Silas did, and so really it was doubling the ministry. So God can even take our mistakes, our disappointments, even our church splits, and he can use it for his glory almost in spite of ourselves. I don't recommend that that's a way to grow to the church, but it's, again, talking about this idea of looking at our life and saying, if I've messed up, can I still be useful? We don't know what happened over those next several years, but we do know this, that as Paul went on the second missionary journey and then the third missionary journey, some point after that he got arrested, he was taken to Rome, and he was put in prison in Rome. And from Rome, of the many different uh, letters that he wrote while he was in prison, two of them I want to mention. One is Colossians and one is Philemon. And it's interesting, this is where you get into digging a little bit in the study of the Scriptures, we don't know how it happened, but somehow over those years, Paul and John Mark got together again. And they talked, apparently, and they worked things out. Because we see the Apostle Paul now referencing John Mark in his letter to Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Isn't it interesting? Paul, the one who said, John Mark's not worthy. He shouldn't go with us on this mission trip anymore. We can't trust him. Now Paul is advocating for him, saying, forget what I said about him before. <laughs> if he comes to you, welcome him, because there's a, there's a difference now. We, I, I see the value in him. And then in Philippians chapter, or I'm sorry, Philemon, verses 23 and 24, he writes this, Epaphras, 
my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers. Now, John Mark has become a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul. Paul saw John Mark as useful once again. So it's a lesson for all of us. In fact, I find it ironic that the Apostle Paul, who was considered useless by the church in the very beginning because he persecuted the church, and he did a lot of things that disappointed God, he received that grace, and God used him greatly, and yet we see at times Paul had a problem maybe accepting others in that same way. And that's why Paul admits in one of his letters, he says, hey, I'm the chief among sinners, even though he was being used of God in mighty ways to, share, to spread the gospel. Because none of us who follow Jesus are perfect. Christ alone is perfect, but he can use us. So I want to close with this particular passage of Scripture, because I think it sums it up well. You get the idea of the message today. But Paul writes this heartfelt message to Timothy about John Mark. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. He says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. I, I want to stop there for a moment because this was actually a God thing for me today that I hadn't seen in the Scriptures till just this morning when I was speaking it. Demas, who the Apostle Paul mentioned in one of the scriptures that I just said a few moments ago, was with Paul. He was a co-laborer. Now Demas has abandoned Paul and the work, and Paul says why. He's forsaken me having loved this present world. So let's bring it full circle. Who do you love more? Do you love this world more, or do you love Jesus more? Because that's really what it comes down to. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, who messed up, denied him, did all that terrible stuff, he just simply asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. In this moment, we don't know what happened to Demas after this. Maybe he had a change of heart and maybe he returned back because, again, we can all be useful if we'll love God, if we'll love Christ. But in this moment, Demas abandoned the work because he was loving the things of the world more than he loved Jesus. So this is a caution for you and I again. Don't get so caught up in the things around you that you begin to forsake your love for the one who has loved you supremely. But anyway, he goes on and then he says, Crescens has departed for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And then he says this, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful <laughs> to me for ministry. So if you're here today and you have felt empty, open your heart and life to Christ once again. He's asking you, do you love me? Because if you love me, I offer my forgiveness and my grace and I'm gonna pour my spirit into you and you can be useful once again. Cheers. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, today, as we've been reminded from your word, I just thank you for the examples that you set for us throughout history and those who have loved you and followed you and, and then let you down. Not only disappointed you, but Lord, really disappointed themselves. And yet, I thank you that in your mercy and grace and love, you really are never disappointed because you know us. You know what a mess we are. And so you ask us just that very personal question, do you, do you love me? 
Because if you truly love me, then I want you to open your heart to me and I'm gonna fill you with my spirit and with my love and with my word. And you'll, you'll put into practice those things that you really love most. So Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for our failures. Help us today to be able to say, yes, Jesus, even though I'm not perfect and I'm kind of a mess, I, do, I really do love you. And then help us to hear your voice. Okay, then feed my sheep. Do my will. Live your life for me so that I can use you in amazing ways because you are still useful to me and for my kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen.